Good morning, good morning, good to see you guys. Man, that was awesome. Praise the Lord. Let's uh, encourage our worship team for serving the Lord so well. Awesome. It's good to see you this morning, and we're going to continue in a spirit of worship as we get into the Word of God. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. You know, the, the city of Colossae was a spiritual jacuzzi. There was all kinds of uh, pagan gods, uh, sp- spiritual uh, uh, teachers coming and going. Uh, they had some hot springs there that were thought to have, have curative powers. Uh, and so there would be all kinds of introductions to get into the hot water and be healed and so forth. So as we think about this letter to the Colossians, Paul is first and foremost concerned with truth. Mm. And the hymn to Christ that we looked at last Sunday is this this beautiful, towering set of truths about who Jesus is and Mm -hmm. uh, as our creator, as the uh, leader of the new creation and the resurrection from the dead. And I hope this week, this past week, that you had an encouraging week of deeper worship and deeper trust uh, in the Lord and that you experienced his advances in your life. So in the next section of the letter, verses uh, 21 to 23, Paul leads from this poem of the supremacy of Christ. He leads into a very brief but powerful exposition of the gospel. We finished last week with, uh, by his blood shed on the cross. Now Paul's going to expand on that and explain in greater detail what's going on. So Royce is going to be team teaching with me today. So we want to welcome Royce. And uh, yes, uh, you know, Jamie was talking about his beard last week, but uh, look at this beard right here. Look at this beard right here. Come on now. All right. Well, Royce, uh, why don't you take us through the text and uh, the outline of the message? Sounds good. Um, So Yeah, we've got three verses today, and what I would like to do is to read them over you. If you would close your eyes with me even, I want to read these over you. Would you listen to me as I read these? Paul writes, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Good news today, guys. And here's where we're going. We're going four places and three verses. The first step, we need to grasp the bad news. But there's a but, and it's stunning good news. There's a cost, steady, persevering faith. And then there's proof, enemies who become messengers. Let me pray, and we'll get moving here. Father, 
We praise you because Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. And there's good news here for all of us today to chew on, to sit in. Lord, would you open our eyes and would you soften our hearts to see you clearly? And Lord, help us to receive what you have for each of us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Thank you, Royce. All right, so I'm going to take part one, and uh, that is verse 21, the first step of which is for us to really grasp the bad news. And Paul is making a declaration here uh, of every person in the church in Colossae and every person in the church ever in the world, this is applicable. And he says, uh, once you are alienated from God, that, that word alienated is, it means shut out from fellowship. It means shut out from intimacy. It means estranged, without hope, excluded from life. And that was, the, that was the, the way that we were born into this world. We were born into this, the kingdom of Satan, and uh, we were alienated from God. And we showed our colors early on. Each and every one of us, even as children, uh, no one had to teach us how to sin. Let me say that again. Nobody had to teach us how to sin. We knew how to sin. And uh, this, this uh, uh, verse could also be read, you might see a little asterisk in your Bible, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, and instead of because of your evil behavior, that could also be translated as shown by your evil behavior. So Paul is connecting that this is a mind, soul, body, everything working in concert situation where we're alienated uh, from the life of God. And as we studied a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I want to remind us uh, of the quote that we looked at about the true gospel because Paul, obviously in this first verse, talks about evil deeds, evil behavior. But he also has written several places elsewhere that even good deeds done without faith mm-hmm. are not acceptable to God. Mm-hmm. And in Romans 14, 23, he says, anything that is not done in faith is sin. So this uh, quote by Dane Ortland, I just think it's really helpful to remind ourselves. We can vent our fleshly passions by breaking all the rules, or we can vent our fleshly passions by keeping all the rules, but both ways of venting the flesh still need resurrection. We can be immoral dead people, or we can be moral dead people. Either way, we're dead. The mercy of God reaches down and rinses clean not only obviously bad people, but also fraudulently good people, both of whom equally stand in need of resurrection. And so as we think about this verse and our alienation from God, we need to look at the whole sweep of our, of our lives and the, the reality of the things that we are part of, we are capable of, that we are thinking, uh, that we are doing, 
and even that we are omitting, omitting to do. And so uh, I think about uh, the, the history and the various testimonies I've read. Many uh, horrible people, horrible people, come to grips and begin to see that they're alienated from God. Mm. And they reach out to Christ, and they, they are made right. And there's so many really nice, wonderful, unbelievable people who stubbornly refuse to acknowledge that they need a savior, mm. that they need saving. And so the gospel, this, this, this alienation, this is uh, a universal human problem. And uh, we see that uh, even the worst can see and turn back to God. And the, what we, in human terms, would call the best will reject God. And so the gospel, in that sense, the, the bad news is, is kind of scandalous because it, does, it violates all of our rules of human fairness. And so I, I just want to put this slide up. We are worse than we think. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I uh, can say in the last month, I've been part of some horrible things that I've done. If you knew all about them, you wouldn't believe a word I would say. And it's, you know, I'm getting better over time, but I'm still finding myself in sin. I'm still finding myself dealing with good people type sins and bad people type sins. But this morning, I I just want to give you a list. Just close your eyes. I just want to give you a list of some things that you might want to think about. Uh, Things like shading the truth. Things like omitting things we know we should do. Things like lying on social invitations instead of simply saying, I'm not going. Uh, Bragging. Um, Smugness. Reputation management. Vanity. Pride, fantasy, gluttony, gossip, avoiding the truth, fear, disguised as wisdom, anger, and one I'm deeply familiar with, angry stares that really affect people who know us well. Threats. Afraid of looking bad. And a host of other things that I won't mention this morning, but to have us think about the reality that even as we continue our journey with Christ, uh, we are worse than we think.
Did you hear that? But you were here two weeks ago when my wife spoke. (laughs) And if you haven't, please pause it and go back and watch the episode from two weeks ago. Um, It's a real treat. But she referenced this idea of a conjunction. And whenever you see it in scripture, that means you need to sit up straight and listen closely. Because this is a really important but right here, right? Uh, Because what happens is Paul is coming fast and furious out of the past tense. He's changing the tense to the present tense. And what the gospel does is it allows us to talk past tense and present tense in the same breath. And so what Paul wants to do here before we move anywhere else is to see these three words, but now he... Okay, because anything that can move us forward out of the past is because of him, his work, his effort, his initiation. It's the only way that gets us from the bad news to the good news, right? And some of us here today, we're sitting in bad news, and we've been stuck in bad news. And I think the first thing God wants you to even realize are these three words, but now he This is how you move to the good news, guys. And so wherever you are, right, wherever you are in seeking to follow Jesus, to know him, to follow him, God wants to remind you today that he put things right before you ever knew things were wrong, right? And so what did he do? Let's look at the verse. He has reconciled you. How? By Christ's physical body through death, To what end? To present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Isn't that stunning? Let's dig into that. So last week, Jamie, at the end of his section, was talking about this idea of reconciliation. And there are a lot of definitions to this word, but we're going to focus in on what, it need, what needs to happen when you are in need of relational reconciliation. Because a relationship has been broken, it's been fractured, enemies have become, or friends have become enemies. And so this reconciliation that we're looking at today is, is um, this idea of, of how do we restore a relationship by any means necessary to cover all of the offenses so that we can move forward with resolution and harmony. Now, we've all had relationships that were in need of reconciliation. Some of us still have relationships that are in need of reconciliation. And when you think about what happens to you when you are unreconciled with somebody, how do you feel? I'd love to hear some of those words. How do you feel? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is unsustainable, isn't it? You know, this is not a sustainable way to live life. I think Paul knew something when he wrote to the Ephesians, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Right? Because he can't sleep. You know, and even when Jesus says, you know, before you come to worship, go reconcile with somebody as well. Like, you can't worship. 
So this past Thursday, Liz and I, we celebrated 15 years of being married. Uh, it's been great. Awesome. But one thing that I realize when I think about 15 years of being married and even dating before that is that I have hurt her. I have offended her. I've broken trust with her in seasons as well. And it's in the midst of those moments that you experience things like that. And when you realize the depth of your offense, that moves you to do whatever it takes to seek reconciliation. But what keeps us from that, right? Pride, selfishness, ignorance, stubbornness. You know, we have to understand that we are the offender before we can ever seek reconciliation. Um, I want to share a short story real quick. I came across this this week. Now, there's a short story. Some of you may have read it. It's called, uh, I think it's The Capital of the World by Ernest Hemingway. Okay. And it, it follows the story of this young man, this teenager named Paco. And he has run away from home. He's estranged with his father. And he wants to pursue uh, a career as a matador, right? And so eventually his father is just undone and wants to reconcile with his son. And he searches all over Spain, over and over and over again, looking for his son Paco, which is a very common name at the time. So eventually, in a last effort, he goes to Madrid, which is the capital of Spain. He goes to the newspaper, he puts an ad in the paper, and it reads like this, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana Tuesday at noon. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. The next day, at noon, 800 Pacos show up at the hotel seeking forgiveness from their father. That's 800 Pacos that know they need to reconcile with their father. Like I think about, I think about that story and I wonder how many people, how many Pacos missed the newspaper and never saw the ad. And so they're left out there in this state of lack of reconciliation. Or how many saw that ad and they're still in a place of pride and stubbornness and they don't want to respond. I think what it does is it, it illustrates why Jesus came, right? Jesus, like we saw last week, he is the image of God. He is the voice of God. He is the word. And he comes to earth, right, to tell us all is forgiven. Love Paco, or love God. Um, I'm going to throw this verse up here from John because we see this all throughout the Gospels. This is just one moment where Jesus is saying, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. The Father is seeking reconciliation to his people, and that is why Jesus came. And Jesus says, hear and believe be reconciled, and praise God that he wants to be reconciled with us, right? Because the cost was great for him. And the good news for us is so stunning. And that's what Paul is reminding the Colossians of here, that we are a sinfully offensive humanity. And he is a holy and a holy offended God. And so God himself has to come as the offender to take our place. He's not only the offended, but he has to become the offender to take our place and to meet the necessary terms of reconciliation. And what are the terms? Death of the physical body of his son. The broken relationship is reconciled through the broken body 
So we receive that. He comes in our place. But then on the flip side, if we go back to that verse, what we see is what happens. They're just so wonderful. This is the beautiful exchange. This is what happens to us now. If we go back to that, that collage, there we go. And so we were not holy in his sight. We could not enter his presence at all, but Jesus could. And so we, in him, are now presented holy in his sight. We were with blemish, and we were not an acceptable sacrifice on our own to meet the terms of reconciliation. But Jesus was without blemish. And so in him, we are without blemish too. And we, we had tons of things that people could accuse us of and God could accuse us of. But Jesus was free from accusation. And so in him, we are also free from accusation. God is so kind not just to forgive us, but also to present us and invite us with him. So I want to share a quick story that, that just shares a bit of that uh, and how Liz and I have experienced this. Um, like I said, we've been married 15 years. And uh, we celebrated at a restaurant that has come for us to be a place where we remember the, God, the Lord's kindness to us in very tangible ways. And so a few years ago, we were in a pretty tough spot financially, and we were getting really creative about how to, how to you know, make some expenses. And so we had an unused gift card to Boca, very nice restaurant downtown. And so Liz had put on a Facebook group or something, you know, we're trying to sell this gift card. And what happens is she gets a direct message from the vice president of Boca, and he says, we'd like you to come in and have a dinner on us, okay? And so, of course, we say yes. So we drive up in our old, loud, noisy Jeep Cher Grand Cherokee to Free Valley Parking, okay? We walk into the front desk, check-in, and the servers are there. They are excited when they hear that it's us, the bakers. And they say, we've been waiting for you, okay? They escort, they take our coats, they escort us upstairs to this roped off private table overlooking a chandelier, the balcony table, they call it, okay? And then the server proceeds to hand us a menu, and he says, this is what we'll be serving you tonight. And seven courses later, with tons of kindness from the staff along the way, we just have the best night. Just knowing that we did nothing to deserve this night, we could never afford this night, but it was the kindness of this vice president to invite us into his, into his restaurant at his table and just to lavish his kindness on us. And so, oh, this is such a kind God, isn't it? He is so kind. Um, he doesn't just forgive us. He presents us wholly in his sight. He seats us in his presence at his table. He gives us what we don't deserve. And so that leads us to, uh, to our application. You know, that, that just, uh, that, that, can we go back to that picture? <laughs> that picture is, this is so amazing to me because, <laughs> you know, as far as the staff were concerned, Royce and Liz were like, holy they were special. Like, who but are also, those guys? Yeah. yeah. But also, look around the restaurant, looking at these guys, wondering, are these, are these guys like Hollywood actors? Or who, who is she? I think I've seen her on a magazine cover. Like, 
They're raised, they're raised into this place of honor, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Honor. So it's not just, yeah, get in the back door and okay, fine. It's not a grudging kind mm -hmm. of grace. It's an it's a overwhelming, unbelievable, mm -hmm. uh, totally consuming grace, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. I mean, just, and you, you, were, you were just enjoying it, right? Right, right. You weren't, you weren't sitting there thinking, oh, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. Or, oh, yeah. I don't, you know, you're just enjoying it. You're with him. For sure. And not even at any point that night did we think, well, maybe this guy isn't trustworthy and the bill's coming, you know? Oh, maybe the Like, bill's we would have coming. tried to sneak out of there after course seven, right? Uh, or even the feelings that we could have felt like, man, we're not worthy of sitting at this table, like to the unhealthy state, like we got to get out of here because I don't deserve this, you know? I mean, we don't, but mm -hmm. having given it to us, God mm -hmm. wants us to fully yes. enjoy it. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Awesome. So here's a quick, simple application. It's from that verse in John here. Um, oh, I think maybe we have a different one. We have a different set of applications. It's simply here. I don't think we have it anymore. I think it's hear, believe, and repeat, okay? Hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and repeat steps one and two. And so if you go to the next one, it's the cycle of growth and knowledge there. Liz and Dennis introduced this several weeks ago, and I tell you what, the way you start into this cycle of growing in the knowledge of God is to hear and believe. And you will walk in a manner worthy of God, fully pleasing God and bearing fruit, but continually to keep this cycle moving requires us to remember the gospel right and to believe the gospel as often as possible. Dennis, what does this look like? Yeah. So point three, uh, what, what's involved in this cycle, following this cycle? And Paul gives us the answer in verse 23a. He says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So he's not saying uh, continue to work hard uh, on your own. He says continue in your faith. Continue in this posture of believing. This posture of uh, believing God for what he has done. And then uh, do not move from the hope. So keep believing. Keep hoping for the truth that is held out for us in the gospel. So it is this steady, persevering faith. It's not glamorous. It's not uh, often uh, it comes in great difficulty. Often it comes uh, in great trials. But it's that commitment to stand firm and to continue to walk in the faith, continue to walk in the trust and the hope that we have in the good news of God. It means constant vigilance. It means constant repentance. It means uh, confession and community. It, it means being nourished by the word of God, what, what we're doing right now, just reminding ourselves over and over of the gospel, of prayer, uh, and of being aware uh, that we have an enemy. And that this is, going to be this is going to be costly. It's going to require a constant revision of our thinking, a constant repentance of things that are dead, a constant uh, seeking for more of God's presence and his purpose and 
more reflection on the hope that we have in the good news of the gospel. I could think of a lot of ways to illustrate this, but the, the way I'm going to illustrate it is to uh, tell some of you may not know uh, Thelma White, but I want to tell you a little bit about Thelma White. Uh, she's been in a nursing home uh, for a few years now. Uh, she is uh, at the Glen in, uh, in Anderson, uh, Eastgate, I should say. And if you go to Thel Thelma's room, 506, uh, you will more than likely see Thelma sitting in her uh, reading chair, which is where she is on this picture on the left and the right. And in the reading chair, you will notice some things about the room. There's a portrait of Jesus over her bed. Um, I told you that story a while ago. That was Tom Dewey's granddaughter who painted that for her. Mm. Uh, then on her table, you will see a Bible. It's a very large Bible because it's an, a large print Bible, so it's thick. And it's stuffed with sheets of paper, scribbles. Um, it is well-worn. And in there, you will find prayer lists, uh, all kinds of prayer lists, including the prayer canopy prayer list, devotionals, and then by there, her glasses. And as I think about Thelma in that chair most of her days, uh, most of her time spent uh, in that chair reading, reading the scripture, praying all kinds of prayers throughout the day. You know, we typically get the prayer canopy prayer guide. That's available on the Connect desk, by the way, for May, if you haven't got it yet. We typically get that, and we might pray through it a couple of times. She prays through that thing every day. And so we are being lifted up by this obscure, quiet, fierce spiritual warrior. And I love the picture on the left because it, it shows to me a certain regal presence, uh, a priestess, someone who's oozing with wisdom and confidence, someone who has a life worth imitating, someone who's battling all kinds of physical ailments all the time, and whose uh, physical condition is always sort of in this very, uh, very uh, fragile balance, but her heart is set on Jesus. And... Uh, then on the other picture, you have this uh, joyful, childlike, uh, <laughs> enjoying uh, of the moment of fellowship and uh, being able to uh, move between those. Uh, and, and she just turned 90. Mm. She just turned 90. So for me, just doing the math, that's 26 and a half years more of steady walking with God. That's longer than I have been walking with God, mm. right? I've been walking mm -hmm. with God 25 years. So if I walk with God another 26 and a half years, I'll be 90, right? <laughs> so it gives you an idea of the level of, uh, I would call it stubborn perseverance mm. <laughs> that she has as she walks with God in the midst of all of her challenges. And, and it's a reminder to us that Continuing in the faith uh, means, and, and Royce came up with this illustration, when you're in an airport and there's those giant long uh, people movers that are moving people between terminals, <laughs> it's like walking against the flow of that thing. 
Because the world is going this way, and Jesus is going this way. You know, the, the ways of the world are not our ways. So people will notice. People will be critical. People will bring us to a place of maybe even resistance and, and suffering because we're walking against the flow. The ways of Christ are not the ways of the world. So a question of application for us is simply to say, how do I, how do I stay focused and avoid drift in my life? The, the number one challenge that we have is spiritual drift. Mm -hmm. It's those small, unnoticeable changes uh, that, that get us uh, off the track off the path of righteousness. It's the sin that so easily entangles. It's the uh, desire to feed the flesh. Well, it begins with knowing the enemy strategy. He has three primary ways that he gets us off track. The lust of the eyes, things that we shouldn't be looking at, things that we hope will replace God. The lust of the flesh, those are the temptations of the body, the drives that might be appetites. Another way to say it is appetites. Mm -hmm. And then the pride of life, the seeking of approval and to standing above others by our accomplishments and how awesome we are. So those, those are the three things that en the enemy used in the Garden of Eden to take Eve down and Adam down. They're the same three things he tried on Jesus. The very same things. Um, and Jesus overcame those temptations. The lust of the flesh turned the stones into bread. Appetites. Jesus said, no. Feed on the word of God. The lust of the eyes, the idea of having uh, all of the, the kingdoms. If you just worship me, do not worship anyone but the Lord God. And then the, the pride of life, the idea that you can throw yourself off the, the temple and angels will rescue you and everybody be saying, wow, that Jesus is awesome. He's so awesome. All of these are shortcuts to knowing the true God and to walking with the true God. Mm. And we may fall into them from time to time, but if we know what they are over time, we can stay on the path, stay focused. So summing up this section of continuing in the faith, this third point, it is a taxing inward journey. It is a taxing inward battle. It will take place until we die in some form or another. So the idea of coasting is foreign to discipleship to Jesus. The idea that we can just stop and it'll be good enough, that will bring in spiritual fade. That will bring in spiritual drift. Mm -hmm. So it's this inward journey, this battle, this fierce inner commitment to following and believing the good news of the gospel and to following Jesus. So that's point number three, this continuing in the faith, stubborn perseverance. And that is very much inward and now I'm going to turn it over to Royce for point four, which is it also has an outward dimension. The inner struggle has an outward dimension. That's right. Um, this is what Paul writes to close this section up. He says, this is the gospel that you heard. 
There's something true about good news. It's always on its way. It's always on its way somewhere. How else did it get to many of us, right? Like there are times I just wish that I could trace back over the past 2,000 years how a small group of eyewitnesses empowered by the Spirit, faithful and obedient to the call of Christ on their life, how, how the good news passed through hundreds and maybe thousands of iterations to get to me in the bedroom of my cousin's house when I was 11, you know? Like, like just to think about the journey that would take place over 2,000 years to get to that point. I can't wait to find that out someday, you know? Um, good news is always on its way to change someone's life. Okay? The, the people here in Colossae knew what a good news was, what a gospel was. Um, Evangelion, it is a word that means that, that something momentous has happened to change your life and the world as you know it. It might be a victory on the battlefield. It might be a new king has been crowned. But as soon as something incredible like that happens, messengers are sent out all over the land and they go to every town square and they shout out, they declare, this is the gospel. This is what has happened. Here is the good news. Your life is changed. Paul says, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And so we've got two realities here. The first is God has done the work to reconcile all of creation to himself. When Jesus died on the cross, reconciliation happened. But we live in a world still where the good news hasn't reached everyone. And so it's this weird tension, right? Like it's already happened, but it hasn't fully happened yet. So I want to share a story just that shows a modern example of this. And one of the things that I love to do, worship team, you guys can start to come up as well now. Um, one of the things that I love as a hobby is I love reading history books. I love history articles. I love watching historical documentaries. My wife doesn't share that hobby with me, maybe a little bit, so we don't watch a ton of historical documentaries together, but I came across this story a couple years ago. Uh, 1945, Hiro Onoda was a young lieutenant in the Imperial Japanese Army. He was stationed in the Philippines, and the United States was cruising through the Pacific at that point. They're invading the Philippines, and uh, his commanding officer orders him to stay and fight. No surrender, okay? The war ends and Onada continues to fight in the jungles of the Philippines. Leaflets are dropped multiple times into the jungles all over the Philippines, all over the, the Pacific theater, right, to tell them the war is over. You can surrender. But Onada thought it was enemy propaganda. He continues to fight, evading search parties, picking fights with locals. Until 29 years later, Young Norio Suzuki, a student from Japan, here, don't go there yet, shows up and tells him, the war is over. You can surrender. And Onada says, I have not been issued the command to surrender yet. I will continue to fight. And so Suzuki goes home. The Japanese government sends a delegation to this jungle with his, with his commanding officer from the war who comes, and now you can go to the next slide, and who officially orders him to surrender. And so 1945, 
World War II ended, but not for Onada. It took 29 years for his World War II to end. And I think that illustrates why the gospel needs to go forth, right? And that's why Paul's saying he is a servant to this good news. Like, the, 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 the good news has come. Jesus has died for you. You can be reconciled. But there are people that have yet to hear. Suzuki was a servant to the good news that World War II was over, right? Because Onada had to hear the good news. That's why Liz and I are taking our family to Croatia this summer with crew, because there are people there that still have yet to hear the good news. And that's why we won't stop telling our Boca story, right? Because people need to hear, someone needs to hear that good news. Um, and so why do you think Paul keeps reminding not only the Colossae church, but everyone about the gospel? Why does he keep sharing his gospel story? It's like Dennis was saying, like, because we drift. And when we do, that's a that's hundred different sermons that we could give in the future. Like what happens when we drift? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the Lord I love, the less I remember the goodness of the gospel, the less I remember what he has done in my life, the easier it is to forget. And the easier it is for me to not be thinking about where God wants the gospel to go through me, right? And so we all have story of God's grace to tell. And God wants us to share those things. Here is the application Just take time and reflect on all of the ways that the good news has come to you. Multiple ways, even now. It continues to come to you. And ask God to help you see where the good news needs to go through you. It's like Ephesians 2 right there. By grace, you are saved through faith. Not, right, not from yourself, but it is a gift of God. Not by works that anyone can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the works that God has prepared in advance for us. Remember the gospel and look for the ways that God wants the gospel to go through you. And so at this point, Dennis and I are going to be off to the side here. And we're going to be ready to pray as we have a song to wrap up. And I don't know if you have something you want to go in here. Um, and we'd love to pray for for two types of people here, right? If, if you are feeling the Lord saying, be reconciled, I forgive you, come pray with us. And we want to pray that with you. God is inviting you to his table today. But if you want to be a messenger as well, let us pray over you that as well. Because God has work to do through you. Dennis, would you mind praying? wrapping us up here or I will okay well father we thank you for this morning and we thank you just for even the, the the simplicity of the gospel thank you for who you are and the great lengths that you took at great cost to yourself to take our place and to give us what we didn't deserve Lord, we thank you for the stories of grace that you are weaving within our lives the stories of grace that are yet to come in our lives. And Lord, help us to see the ways that you want us to bring that good news into the lives of others. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
So, Father, we thank you. And, Lord, we do want to build our lives on you. You are trustworthy. You are reliable. You are able. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that the gospel works in us to transform us. And we're asking, Lord, that you would use each and every one of us to bring the gospel that is working in us, out of us, into the lives of others. We praise you and thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hey, let's uh, speak this benediction over each other. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. Let's say it together as we bless one another uh, to go from here. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I bless you with that to have a great week. Go and share the kingdom. Amen.